Okay, we are starting a new sermon series. Hope you're excited. Uh, I am. We have finished with justice. Not really. I hope you haven't finished with justice. I think we just scratched the surface. And I hope it gives you some uh, conversations and some, some language even to enter into meaningful conversations about justice. But today we are going to switch to a new series about prayer. And I want to build a bridge to start. And the bridge I want to build is between justice and prayer because there is a connection and I don't want to miss that. We're not switching to an entirely new thing and leaving justice behind. We're actually looking for a way that we can be active in justice even through prayer. Eugene Park, theologian and pastor, he said this, prayer is ultimately a form of activism. Don't know if you ever thought about prayer that way. I, I mean, worship is an act of rebellion. I don't know if you feel very rebellious this morning coming to worship. It's an act of rebelling against the values of the culture that surrounds us. And so when we come to worship, it's kind of an act of rebellion. Well, prayer, according to Eugene Park, is a form of activism. Through prayer, we petition the highest possible authority. That's what prayer does. That's what we're doing. Listen to what David says in Psalm 10. Arise, O Lord, and lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. David knows who to go to in prayer when he sees the afflicted. Or Jeremiah, he goes to God in a protest prayer. Do you know he can go to God with protest prayers? Here's Jeremiah. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Does your soul loathe Zion? Why have you struck us down so there is no healing for us? We were thinking about Lebanon today and, and the Syrian sisters who are there uh, waiting to come and be reunited in, uh, with their family here. And the, the situation in Lebanon is truly, truly desperate. And it's especially desperate if you're a Syrian living in Lebanon because you don't have the same access or rights. And I, I know that some of our Lebanese and Syrian friends are calling out this prayer. Have you forgotten us? Have you rejected us, O Lord? Where are you? It's a protest prayer. It's a form of activism. Think also of Jesus in Luke chapter 18. He says this, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Do you see the connection, the bridge I'm building between justice and prayer? And so if we want to get active in justice, we need to start with prayer. That's a great place to start. Because through prayer, we acknowledge God's authority but we also foster empathy. I don't know if there's groups that are in society that you naturally tend to avoid. <laughs> Maybe it's because of our conditioning growing up. Maybe it's how we grew up with our households or how we were schooled or educated. Uh, but there are maybe segments of society, let's be honest, that we tend to stay away from. My encouragement is do this. Pray for them. Because it's very hard to avoid someone or hate someone when we're actually actively praying for that person. And so one of the ways to get involved in justice is to pray for those who are marginalized. Actively pray for them. But the other thing we do when we pray in relation to justice is that we protect ourselves against performance activism. Acting to simply increase our social capital. Have you seen this? It's, it's actually disgusting. There's some uh, activists online who go around and they wait for a big riot to break out or a protest, 
and they'll film themselves in front of it. They'll record themselves and then post it on social media to make themselves look better. Or they'll, make a, they'll share a post or a tweet or something like that to make it look like they're part of the whole movement. Prayer stops that because prayer forces us to be honest with ourselves and with God. And so here's a good mantra. Here's a good line to remember, especially if you're active on social media in any form. Pray before you post. <laughs> pray before you post. If we could just practice that, I think we will reduce the kind of uh, nonsense that occurs in a lot of social media. Pray before you post. Well, Eugene Park goes on to say this. I'm not saying prayer should be the church's only functional response to injustice, but should it not be one of the first and foundational responses? So when it comes to thinking about getting active in justice, let's pray first. That's a great place to start, and that's part of the invitation. That's the bridge that I want to, to build as we come to this new series. Well, the new series, we're going to be focusing on praying with the Apostle Paul and looking at some of the Apostle Paul's prayers. And the reason that we're doing this is because I would like to elevate my prayer life. I would like to raise it to the next level. And I don't want to do that by simply learning a new acronym for prayer. I don't want to learn new mechanics for prayer, whether you should kneel or stand or raise your hands. I don't even want to learn how prayer works. There's a mystery in prayer, and I think sometimes if we get into the mystery of it, we get lost. I'm not interested in that so much. I want a mentor for prayer. And one of the best mentors I can find is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. Most of the words in the New Testament come from him. But he's also the most prolific prayer in the New Testament. The guy that prays the most. I think he has about 43 different prayers. You can go home and read them all. Look them up, annotate them, get back to me if that number is right. But some of them are short, some of them are long, but the Apostle Paul, he prays a lot. And so I want to use him as a kind of a mentor. But it comes with a disclaimer. It comes with a warning. And here's the warning from Tim Keller. It's remarkable that in all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends contain no appeals for changes in their circumstances. Think about that for a moment. The people that Paul was writing to were facing all kinds of adversity. Paul himself was facing all kinds of adversity. But he doesn't pray, God, take away the adversity. He prays something else. He elevates our prayer by giving us a focus on God a focused kind of prayer. So in doing this series, there's also a danger. The danger is you begin to feel either guilty because we don't pray enough or a little bit ashamed because our prayers don't sound like so-and-so or this person or even the Apostle Paul. And so this could backfire is what I'm saying. This could actually make people say, I really don't know how to pray. I don't have the right language. Therefore, I'll just be quiet. And I don't want to discourage people from praying, or even from asking God to remove them from the situation that they're in. That's a legitimate prayer. Jesus encourages us to ask. Uh, James tells us if we're sick to go to the elders. So I'm not saying don't ask. Ask away. 
Ask away in faith. But Paul, he takes us in a different direction. And that's what I really want to tap into during this time. I also don't want to give the impression that only some people can pray. I reject all forms of spiritual elitism. The very best prayer that you can pray is the one that you pray. <laughs> That's the prayer that you need to pray. I want to give you this image from the book of Revelation chapter 8. In Revelation chapter 8, it talks about the prayers of the saints, which sounds great, sounds beautiful, right? But the prayers of the saints are then mixed with incense and then offered up to God on the throne. Why the incense? Well, in the Old Testament, when they did the sacrifices of the animals, it wasn't like a giant barbecue that smelled really, really good. This was, this was a stinky thing. I mean, they were butchering the animals and burning them to a crisp. This did not smell good. So what would they do? They would burn incense at the same time, so there would be a kind of a sweet-smelling savor going up to heaven. That was the idea. And so uh, the Apostle John in Revelation says, Our prayers, well, they're a little stinky sometimes. Be honest. <laughs> But the Spirit mixes them with incense and presents them to God as a sweet-smelling sacrifice. So let's pray our stinky prayers. Because often our prayers are mixed with, with different motivations and, and different uh, wrong desires. But don't let that stop you from praying. Pray and trust that the Spirit will mix that with the incense of the Spirit and lift it up to God. So let's pray our stinky prayers and let God sort it out. But Paul does help us to elevate our prayers by giving us the right focus on prayer. And that's what we're going to look at. So that brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Jessica, thank you so much for reading uh, that this morning. Um, and there are some challenges that the Corinthian church is facing. Here's two of them that I'm going to mention. First of all, the church and Paul had had a big fight. Like sometimes we think, if I could just go back to the early church, everything would be great. Everything would be beautiful. No, they had, they had the exact same problems that we have today because they're human and they don't always mix well. And the church in Corinth did not always receive Paul very well. In fact, they had been fighting quite severely. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to correct some of the issues he found in the church. Now, Corinth was a Greek city originally, a very affluent, very promiscuous Greek city, taken over by the Romans. So it became kind of a Roman city. It was a major center of trade, but it was known for a couple of things. Idolatry and immorality. And the two of them often went together. And so it was very hard to be a follower of Jesus in a place like Corinth. Kind of like it is today in some ways in the culture in which we live. And so there were issues in the church where the culture was seeping into the church and the way the church was behaving looked a lot like the culture around it. And so Paul begins to write to address some of those very issues. But it's not received well. As you can imagine, how dare you say that to me, Paul? How dare you ruin my fun? In fact, Paul, I don't think you're very good. You have no authority over us. And so they began to reject his authority as an apostle. And they reject it for strange reasons. See, Paul was somewhat poor. He wasn't wealthy, as far as we can understand. He resorted to manual labor. He was a tent maker. He also was constantly in suffering 
all kinds of suffering. And for that world, and even our world today, we'd say, what's wrong with that guy? That he's constantly facing suffering. That was Paul. But he was also an unimpressive public speaker. Now, there's different reasons why we say that. One of the reasons is, while he was preaching one day, and you can turn to the story in Acts chapter 20 and verify, I'm not making this up. He was preaching so long one day, going on and on and on, kind of like Eric does when he preaches, just seeing if he's paying attention. No, not like Eric. He was going on so much that a young guy actually fell out of a window and died. That was Paul's preaching. The story has a good ending. You can read it in Acts chapter 20. But Paul was not known as being this great orator. And so people began to say, there are other people locally that are wealthy, that are flashy orators. And we're going to start to listen to them instead. So then Paul says, I've got to set this straight for the sake of the gospel. So he has what he calls a painful visit with the church in Corinth to try and set them straight. After that visit, he writes another letter. And he says he writes that letter with anguish and tears. We don't have a copy of that letter. And then after that, he writes 2 Corinthians. That's where we're at. And 2 Corinthians shows that there's been some reconciliation taking place. Paul is being restored to his authority as an apostle. And the church sounds like it's back on track, even though Paul has still a few issues. So that's, that's the first big challenge. It was a relational challenge that they're facing. They suffered in their relationships, and especially the relationship Paul, with Paul. There's a second challenge that Paul brings up in the passage that was read for us, and that is, Physical hardships. This was another kind of suffering. Paul and his crew felt they had received a death sentence in their journeys. They thought they were going to die. They did not think they were going to get out alive, whatever the particular situation was. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he begins to list all of the challenges, the physical challenges that he faces. Listen to them. Can you imagine this? This is a, a short period of time having experienced this. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Not like Trudeau. These were bigger rocks. Okay. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul suffered. He suffered in his relationship with the church at Corinth, and they suffered in turn. But he and his crew also suffered physically all of these things and probably much more. So how does Paul pray in the midst of his suffering? That's the question that we want to ask. How does Paul pray about these challenges? Well, he prays about comfort. Think about that for a moment. He prays about comfort. What comes to mind? When I say the word comfort... I'll just be honest. Here's what comes, comes to mind for me. A queen-size heated water bed with flannel sheets in the middle of winter. 
Okay, if, you've, if you're a part of a generation that's never experienced a queen-size heated waterbed with flannel sheets in the middle of winter, you have not lived. I mean, that is comfort. I, unless you have a neck problem, back problem, or your knee locks up in the middle of the night, just ask my brother David, who may or may not watch this at some point. Um, but that's, when I think of comfort, maybe you think of comfort food, or maybe you think of your favorite blanket. And Paul prays for comfort and that's what comes to mind. But is that what he's talking about here? Not exactly. And so we have to dig a little bit deeper into what Paul means when he says comfort. We do so by looking at the Greek word. And the Greek word is periklesios. That sounds really fancy. I like to say it because I can. Uh, it's one of the few Greek words I can say. But you might be familiar with it. You might have heard of parakletos which is derived from this, and it's a word we use to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's a word that literally means to come alongside and help. That's what Paul's praying for. Someone, the Spirit, to come alongside and help. But in English, we also get a clue. The word comfort, in the middle of it, the root word in Latin is fortis. Not the energy company, but fortis actually means strength or courage. So what was Paul praying for here? Well, I want to replace the image of the waterbed with a better image of what Paul is getting at here. And the image is this. It's a steel-reinforced trestle bridge that holds up a freight train. The image of strength. That's what Paul is praying for. He's praying that people would be strengthened and given courage to stand up under the pressure of life. To be able to stand with integrity when all of these challenges, relational, physical, emotional, spiritual, come at us, Paul prays for comfort, courage. He prays that you might be strengthened in this time. The courage to maintain integrity under enormous pressure. That's what it means. And it's repeated over and over and over in that passage that Jessica read through us. So through this prayer that Paul prays, he reveals to us a number of things about suffering as he prays for courage. He reveals to us, first of all, that suffering is to be expected. I think we're often shocked when we face suffering or when we see suffering or when we face something like a virus uh, because we thought that science solved all that for us. Uh, past generations would not be so surprised at suffering, especially past past generations that only lived to like 40 or 50. Suffering was very normative. We avoid suffering at all costs. I woke up this morning, felt a twinge in my back, three Advil, down the hatch, right? We avoid suffering at all costs. And so when it happens to us, we're like, what? Where is this coming from? And Paul says, actually, <laughs> suffering is expected. This is what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. That's what Paul is saying partly in this prayer. The other thing he's saying is that suffering will be noted, that God will take note of your suffering, that he will not leave it unnoticed. Whatever suffering you're going through right now, whether it's very visible or whether it's something that's hidden, something you don't reveal to others, whether it's a loneliness or an affliction or something like that, God has taken notice of that suffering. Suffering, He bears witness to our suffering. 
That's why Jesus came. He's the man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. He understands our suffering. And that's also in this prayer. But here's the thing that I want to point out. This is the main point. He also says that suffering is productive. Suffering accomplishes something. Not that we seek out suffering. Not that we wish suffering on someone else. But in the midst of suffering, if we're willing to be given courage by the Spirit and strength by the Spirit, suffering can be useful. It can be productive. Paul says in this passage, one thing it does is it produces patient endurance. Be really careful when you pray for patience, by the way. <laughs> when God give you patience, expect maybe a little bit of an extra challenge to come your way because that's how God teaches us patient endurance is even through suffering. But here's the point of all points. Here it is. When we receive courage from God in our suffering, Paul says we can then use that experience to encourage others. That's how it works. That's what Paul is saying. Corinthian church, we've been through some hard times. I know you already have it hard in the city in Corinth just to follow Jesus, but we've been at it like loggerheads, and it has drained us. You ever been in a relationship like that? And it has just drained you. We've come together now, but there's some wounds. There's some scars. But guess what? Now you can use your experience of courage, your experience of strength to encourage others. That's the productivity that suffering brings. Paul elevates our prayer life in this way by showing that our suffering is not meaningless. It's not useless. It's not worthless. It can be used for something good and beautiful. Yesterday, Pastor Samuel and I gathered here with the family of Sarah Boone. And we said farewell to Sarah. She was only 44 years old and died of cancer. Left uh, two young girls behind and her husband, Michael. Uh, some of you might remember Gary Boone. That's Michael's dad who passed away just a couple of years ago as well. And as we celebrated Sarah's life, um, her daughter Emma decided that she wanted to come up and read some scripture for us. And she could have chosen any passage of scripture. Psalm 23 is often chosen at funerals. Something from Romans 8. Something. You know what she chose? She chose these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. She chose our text from today. She didn't know I was going to be preaching on it. But of all the things that she could share in memory of her mom, this is it. She gets it. Somehow at the age of, I think she's 16, she gets it. She understands that even in this tragedy of losing her mom, she is being equipped to comfort others. And they live that out for the last four years as a family, as her mom has battled with cancer. They've been holding these backyard brunches where they invite up until COVID 80 or 90 people to come out and have brunch together. And then they raise awareness and they raise money and they raise support and courage for other cancer survivors and those that are facing cancer uh, surgeries and operations. They understood that their trauma was equipping them to serve others. Their suffering equipped them to give comfort and encourage to others. So Paul doesn't praise God for making our lives comfortable. That's not what he's after here. He praises God for the courage to stand up under pressure, 
so that we in turn can help others stand up as well. So two questions as we finish off today. I want you to think of a time when you have faced suffering, and that can be a painful thing to do. Maybe it's right now. Maybe you're in the midst of it. Whether it's physical or whether it's mental, spiritual, think of a time when you have faced suffering. Here's the first question. Where did you find strength? What gave you courage? What gave you strength in the midst of that time? And then the second question is this. How can you use that experience to encourage others today? That's the elevation of this prayer. That's, that's where this prayer takes us. It doesn't remove us from the situation. It doesn't necessarily take away our suffering, but it gives us a focus and a purpose, a meaning, even in the midst of the challenges we face. As we wrap up, I've reworked uh, part of this passage into a prayer that I think reflects what we've been talking about today. And so I'd like us to actually stand together. And I'm just going to pray this, and then Pastor Samuel will come up with the final song. Let's pray. We offer you thanks and praise, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are the Father of mercies and the God of all courage. You strengthen us in our affliction so that we may be able to encourage others with the same courage we have received from you. You enable us to know that as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we shall share abundantly in his strength. Thank you that our suffering is not meaningless, but is for the encouragement and salvation of others. Thank you for our hope that cannot be shaken. In Jesus' name.